Hello and welcome to the Sky U Podcast by The Daily Gopher. I'm Chris, go a fur. With me this week are Andy, Gopher Guy 5 Hello, hello. And U Street. Hey y'all. 2-0. We're 2-0 guys. Fresno State, a quality Mountain West team, goes down to the Gophers 24-21. This is, and I'm very happy for a number of reasons, one of which is the fact that uh, the media has been very positive in general. It's an early time in the season to have media positivity around the Gophers, so that's always enjoyable. Obviously, Street and I had a chance to break down uh, the Fresno State game on the Great Takes Less Filling podcast, uh, but I wanted to get Andy in here. Uh, give, what, give us your thoughts. What, what, what did you see from our seats uh, in TCF Bank Stadium against Fresno State? You know, I was uh, pleasantly surprised at how well the uh, defense played. I mean, I think we all knew we had a fairly good defense, but they literally looked uh, staunch and tough uh, for most of the game. A couple of the drives there at the uh, fourth quarter where Fresno marched down the field and and scored. Well, they had the short field on one, um, but the one long drive, they looked a little worse for wear. But for the most part, Blake Cashman's having a great season so far. He looks um, amazing again. Um, Terrell Smith is, is going to be just an absolute stud in a couple of years. He already is looking great as a freshman, but can you imagine this kid as a junior and a senior? Wow. Um, you know, offensively, um, as we'll get into in a little bit, losing Rodney Smith definitely seemed to throw them out of sync a little bit. Um, but but Zach Anikstad has it had its moments and, and looked pretty good and made some really nice passes to uh, Rashad Bateman and Chris Ottman Bell, uh, and of course the one crazy scramble to Tyler Johnson. Um, but of course the play of the game was uh, the the last important play of the uh, Antoine Winfield Jr. interception and and TCF, you know. Mo- uh, there, there are a few people that left early because there always are, but the, most of the crowd stuck around towards the end last night. And, uh, yeah, the stadium was insanely loud for, you know, there being 25,000 people in it. After that interception, it was it was a party going on in the stands. And uh, I think people were alternately just so damn excited it happened and couldn't believe he came down with that ball. And, uh, you know, I think people are really, really pleasantly happy to be 2-0 and going into Miami, Ohio next week. And, um, you know, assuming they take care of business, 3-0 and non-con, you're halfway to a bowl game. So I think uh, everybody's pretty happy at the moment. Yeah, I got to be honest. Like, as much as, like, TV timeouts, and there's a lot of things about watching the game in person where TV timeouts and things like that can really take away from the experience. And I understand why some people go, oh, it's just better to watch at home on my TV with my beer and all that. There's just nothing for me personally that is better than being in a stadium when a play like that happens. If you're at home, there's an extra level of excitement for me that comes with a play like that. If you're on the road, and there's something about everybody else around you being super quiet or really cranky and you and Andy maybe talking a lot of smack to Nebraska fans maybe uh, that that brings a lot of joy um, so I'm, I'm really glad that you know the fans who are coming out got to have have a moment like that not just a win but a, a moment like that because that's something that I think a lot of folks will remember for a long time and and as you said, that is the payoff. That that play, that last you know sort of eight minutes of the fourth quarter was the payoff because in the second quarter where there were those four challenges and every single one went to full TV timeouts, that second quarter went forever and nothing seemed to happen. So I'll fully admit at that point of the game, you're just sort of like, okay, seriously, another TV timeout? Are you bleeping serious right now? 
but you forget all about that after that last sort of seven minutes of the game, and there's your there's your payoff for suffering through just a slog of a of an early game. I'm still going to make my other payoff one of those ridiculous shakes. I don't care if it's raining or snowing or whatever. I've seen too many pictures of them on Twitter, and I want one of those ridiculous shakes. You and ice cream, you know, you you got to do what you got to do. It's uh, it's it's you know, it's a lot. So good luck with that. <laughs> Hey, you've seen me. I'm certainly capable of taking on whatever large ice cream item you hand to me. I shouldn't, but I I will, and that's why I'm the man I am today. All right, Zach Anikstead, a man who clearly does not eat as much ice cream as I do because he is way quicker on his feet uh, than I am. Uh, I think we are all pretty impressed with how he played. Um, Certainly as a true freshman, he's doing a lot of things well, or at least um, pretty well. And then there's plenty of freshman things he does that makes us all remember he's a freshman. Let's kind of break down what we found as pluses and minuses of Anikstead's performance uh, against Fresno. And I'll start with you, Street. On the Tyler Johnson hookup, which extends drive, ultimately leads to the winning score of the game, there is a moment on that play where Zach Anikstead is being charged after by two fresno state defenders on the play in total he will run 41 yards he has had to do that a lot not 41 yards every time but he's constantly having to evade pressure which says a lot about his offensive line says a little bit about fresno state good defense but a lot about his offensive line one of the most fascinating things to me about annexed as a true freshman is his ability to keep composure while evading pressure He did an excellent job on several throws using his footwork to stay in the pocket, to move forward in the pocket, to move laterally and vertically, depending on what was necessary, to keep a play alive and let his receivers get open. That's something that, well, definitely did not happen last year with either Demi Croft or Connor Rhoda. And honestly, I don't really think has happened in any consistent fashion for any gopher quarterback since maybe Adam Weber. That's the part that's super impressive to me. Throwing a ball on the run into a Fresno State defender's chest, less great. But the evading of pressure so far has been fantastic. And that's something that when the other mechanics come is something that's just going to hold. So that's going to, it's already a strength. It could become a major strength, especially if the offensive line improves, because now you have an opportunity for Anikstead to usually have a pocket, but when that pocket breaks down, to be able to evade pressure and continue to move. That, to me, is pretty fantastic. Yeah, I think the point you made about the offensive line improving is really important, because there are definitely moments where you can see you can see Anikstead Backing away from pressure is the wrong way. You can see he's seeing the pressure, and he is anticipating the pressure. And sometimes it feels like he might be anticipating a little too early, but I can't really blame the kid because his offensive line is you know, threatening to get him killed sometimes. So if the offensive line improves, I, I, I also am very excited to see what he can do with that ability, with that uh, awareness, the, the awareness of when the pressure is coming, but the ability to move with the pressure and actually take advantage of a pocket and take advantage of improved, uh, ideally improved throwing mechanics and all those other things because, you know, he has the potential to be pretty good. And I think that's, I think that's a lot of fun. Uh, for me, I 
was really excited by his relationship with his receivers. And by that, I mean on timing routes, on routes where he has to wait for the receivers to break. Um, you know, he doesn't, I, I should say, he's making throws that are predicated on what he knows his receivers will do. He doesn't have to wait for them to break. He, he throws the ball before they're, you know, in their cut. Uh, that's all great stuff and stuff that I certainly wasn't expecting from a true freshman. On the other hand, he does have a tendency to stare down receivers. So he might be waiting on a dude, but he's looking at him the whole time. And that is going to get him, you know, we're going to play Ohio State. We're going to play some other Big Ten teams. And there's going to be a safety who just jumps it and, you know, really makes us pay um, dearly for for Zach Enixted being a freshman. But that's part of being a freshman. He will hopefully learn from that. They'll be able to help him learn the, the skill sets of being able to look off, you know, defenders, things like that. Uh, but for me, what is clearly a good, again, relationship with his, his wide receivers is something that's really, really positive and something that I certainly didn't expect this early on in his uh, career at Minnesota. Andy, what, what was kind of the, what are the things that you are really enjoying about Zach Anikstead? Well, I think, you know, I, he's got sort of this in, intangibles thing about him. I mean, he's he's the most sort of, I don't know if dynamic is the right word to use, but he's the most sort of interactive gopher quarterback we've seen in a while. Um, you know, if you see some of the quotes that P.J. Fleck has, has said talking about him, how in the first game, you know, after that horrible interception he threw early uh, to, to set up um, the, the first touchdown there, and... Uh, you know, PJ says after the game, basically, Anixon came up to him after that interception. He goes, "Ah, eh, we're fine. We'll be all right. You know, we're going to be okay." And PJ just sort of, sort of looks at him, and goes, "Oh, oh, we are okay, right?" And he says, "Like, yeah, we'll be fine." You know, sort of exactly what you would expect a coach to say to the quarterback, not necessarily the quarterback to the coach. Um, and you know, then he had the incident, or the, not the incident, but what uh, what PJ said in his press conference last night, where he said basically Annex did came over to him in the fourth quarter during the middle of that last go for touchdown drive after one of those after you know timeout and sort of gave him a wink and said this is fun, isn't it? And PJ's just like he the kid just gets it, you know. Um, he, he's he's picking up the game the best he can. Um, you know, one one of the negatives, and and that's going to be of any quarterback who's only played two collegiate games, is he's definitely picking it up. As he's as as somebody said, I think Chris said, you know, he's he's definitely locking onto receivers, and he's not quite, um, you know, looking everybody off, looking for his second and third reads quite yet. Um, you know, as, as Peter Mortel, we all know Peter Mortel, former Gopher punter, he tweeted out last night. Uh, he says, you know, I, I about to sign a lease at Anixed Apartments. Love his arm and poise for a freshman. That being said, if he keeps that one zone read, he makes it to Blarney's and back before anybody knows he kept it. So, um, those are the things that you know. As the season goes on, we're going to be watching to see if he improves on, and if he can, it's going to be really good for the Gophers going down the stretch, especially as we'll get into in a little bit. If uh, we're playing our second and third string running backs here for the rest of the season, Anikstad's really going to have to uh, step up his game in a hurry. As a side note, one thing that Anikstad's, um, his his composure or his style, you know, his, oh God, swag, I'll throw swag out there. Um, what that What that's actually made me really enjoy is, if you watch the press conference from Fleck, that that game on Saturday and the way the players responded, not just Anikstead but others, but the relationship he has with these players, it's actually a real fun side of Fleck to see. Fleck was clearly emotional, not in a in a in a bad way, but in a positive way about 
how the team responded. And I think interactions with players like Zach helped drive that. Um, and I say that from my own experience, having a coach who, who had similar types of reactions when he saw growth or when he saw um, development from his kids. And it was based a lot on the relationship he built with his players. And so I, for me, that's just been fun. Like Fleck kind of, kind of wears it, wears uh, his feelings out there a little bit. And, you know, after a win, um, it can make for some real fun, fun interactions with uh, the media and with fans through seeing, uh, seeing those press conferences. So uh, the running back though. Okay. So we got to talk about it. Rodney Smith goes down third play of the game. Um, clearly, seems to be fairly serious. It didn't appear to be a contact injury. It appeared to be something where he was cutting and, and something happened. Um, it was described last night as a lower body injury. Um, Fleck was clear that they weren't specifying knee or ankle. They were going to be looking for more information. Um, unless I've been completely oblivious to it, I didn't see any new information come out today. Did, am I missing? Did you guys see it? The fact that you did not see any new information coming out today is itself new information because it indicates it is probably quite bad. Yeah, apparently uh, PJ Fleck did say in his radio appearance with WCCO that at least as of about 10 a.m. this morning, they didn't have any new news. Um, apparently there was a rumor going around that he was supposed to be having an MRI this morning. Um, so my guess is we won't hear anything until Tuesday in his standard uh, radio show and press conference, and then we'll... Um, find out, I'm assuming, the bad news that it's going to be a torn something and he's probably going to be out for the season. But we'll find out for sure here in a couple of days. Yeah, fingers crossed. I'm, I'm kind of assuming the same. When I see a guy go down on a non-contact, I, that's kind of what I jump to. So uh, certainly for Rodney's sake, we hope we're very wrong on that. Um, separate, you know, from the Gophers, just for Rodney personally, um, he's a kid who's done a lot here at Minnesota. He has an opportunity to, you know, make a make a name for himself in the NFL. Certainly not as a, a you know top draft pick, but as a mid round guy, a late round guy, um, and those kind of opportunities start to become more difficult once you've had a serious knee injury. Uh, so, for for his sake, I, I really hope he it's something less serious and it's something that he can just rehab his way out of, even if he doesn't come back this year, because you know it'll make um, his opportunities a lot uh, brighter for the NFL. Uh, because we are Gopher bloggers, we do talk about these things. We got to talk about what it means, though. Um, before we, I mean, we could go straight into, hey, which back would we like to see become the number, t- uh, the number one? Um, to my question, really, actually becomes, does any of it matter? Does it matter who we throw coming from the backfield uh, if the offensive line doesn't improve? Um, because uh, right now it was blatantly obvious last night. Uh, Bryce Williams was not doing a bad job. He was he was doing very well for for a true freshman. Uh, but man, the holes just weren't there. They just they just weren't there, and I think that's problematic. Uh, Street, I mean, really, can we expect much of anything if we don't have an offensive line? When we don't, I mean, with Rodney, at least the running back could make something happen but with young running backs should we even like worry about it not really there's a reason why normally when you get to nfl drafts you don't take a running back in the first round it's not because the talent isn't there or that someone isn't quote-unquote a first round talent it's that a running back's performance is fundamentally conditioned on how good its offensive line is 
if the offensive line is not very good, you can have the best running back in the world, for example, Adrian Peterson, and they'll be able to eke out another half yard a carry, and that's really impressive. One of the things that I thought you saw last night was just how good Rodney Smith is. Because Rodney Smith has constantly been able to get positive yardage be running behind offensive lines that have not given him the help that he deserves. If I compare that to, for example, say, Saquon Barkley, who was running behind much better offensive lines, Rodney Smith would very much constantly be in the conversation for the best running back in the Big Ten. It's hard to believe that the offensive line is going to improve so drastically that the difference between your third and fourth string running backs, because Shannon Brooks, of course, is out, is going to be dramatically different. I thought Bryce Williams played very well last night. He clearly has the ability to make uh, make a push. He has the ability to have a little bit of top-end speed, so if he does get a hole, it's not necessarily just four yards. He can stretch to eight, nine, hit a long of 11 yesterday. We saw similar things from Mohamed Ibrahim as well in the first game against an admittedly much worse opponent. Both of those are predicated on the offensive line being able to open holes, and it's hard for me to see that changing absent a lot of coaching up on their part. The unit on offense that has to get better in a hurry is the offensive line. Fleck in his press conference yesterday was saying that they were installing plays on the sidelines to try and get yards. And if we're being very honest, currently the best running back on the team is Seth Green. That's a huge problem, and that problem exists not because Bryce Williams is not a good quarterback and no no shot to Seth Green, who's a phenomenal athlete. It's that the offensive line is not doing enough work. So it's hard for me to see absent the offensive line working. Now, it's also possible, and Andy might have some thoughts on this, that you do see an actual difference between Bryce Williams and Muhammad Ibrahim, and that might be helpful going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we are going to see – I think it might have been a little bit different picture had Mohamed Ibrahim not been uh, hurt and missed the the game Saturday night. Um, he apparently did well. He was injured on his long. I can't remember. Did he, he didn't quite score on that touchdown. He got down to about the one, and then he, he did not. He, yeah. he was he was inside the five yeah. when he got knocked out. Um, but that was when he when he got injured. He sort of limped off. He he missed Saturday night. Um, hopefully he'll be back for Miami this week. Uh, I think he's a bit, little bit more of a speed back. He's going to be more of your sort of shiftier, and if the line isn't quite blocking as much, um, maybe that's what we need to see is somebody who can sort of do a little bit more more shifting and try and find a little small crease and, and take it. I think Bryce Williams, at least at this stage in his game, is much more of a sort of a Shannon Brooks power back type where he's not going to necessarily cut and wow you. He's going to basically take the hole they give you, and he's going to get two yards or he's going to get nine yards depending upon whether the hole is big or whether the hole is small. Um, so just having that change of pace will be a little bit better. Um, as, as Street said, we know we have Seth Green, and the Gophers used a lot of Seth Green Saturday night, I think more than anybody even remotely thought was going to be possible. So I think it's he'll still be the main goal line back, um, and you'll see him you know, playing a lot more in, in midfield situations as we saw Saturday night. Um as long as you know Williams and Ibrahim can can hold the weight in the middle of the season, the start of the Big Ten season, I think a lot will depend on um, you know you do get Shannon Brooks back in theory if he is full healthy, which it sounds like he might be for four games at the end of the year. So if you can get Shannon Brooks back for Purdue, 
Northwestern, Wisconsin, and a bowl game, or play him one game earlier and play him Illinois if you don't think a bowl game is what you want to waste his eligibility on, uh, that could make a really big difference down the stretch. I mean, that's that could be a big tick in the Gophers' favor come late in the year if you can just sort of, you know, muddle through the middle of the season. So I think there are options there. Um, I think looking ahead to, to Miami of Ohio, they have uh, been pretty porous, rush defense so far this year. So that will be a good indicator. If the Gophers can go out and have a good rushing game on Saturday and, and really take it to the Red Hawks, then um, I won't feel as scary as if they come out and sort of... Uh, crap the bet on Saturday because they really should be able to run all over Miami of Ohio. Yeah, I think one other thing that comes with having uh, Mohamed Ibrahim out right now is, well, I guess I don't know this for sure, but it was it was clear at least with Bryce Williams as your primary back that they were more comfortable with uh, Femi Cole coming in as the third down back, and I would assume that has a lot to do with pass blocking. Um, it was consistent enough as that's when Jonathan Femi Cole came onto the field that it seemed to me like it, it definitely had a pass blocking component versus, you know, Bryce was tired or anything like that. Um, I guess I can't say for certain that that would change um, with Ibrahim because we didn't see enough of him against New Mexico State to really know. But certainly, at least at this point, you're you're also being put in a position as the Gophers where you may not have the back you want on the field, uh, but you needed that back on the field just because of, uh, you know, schematic um, blocking related uh, pieces. So I think that's something worth keeping an eye out for as well. Andy, you mentioned uh, Minnesota's, you know, ability hopefully to run against Miami. Uh, Normally this would be the part where, Blake uh, would come in with his preview. Uh, he's unfortunately not with us tonight. So, Andy, you stepped in to fill the gap. Tell us a little bit more about uh, the Miami Redhawks. Yeah, looking ahead, uh, Miami Redhawks coming to TCF on Saturday, and uh, this is definitely a game the Gophers should win fairly handily. Um, opening the line came in, opened it to Gophers by 12. It's already jumped up to the Gophers by 14 um, in just a few hours. So obviously the Vegas money is all coming in on Minnesota as well. Um, the, the Red Hawks are 0-2 on the year. They opened up, they played Marshall first weekend of the year um, at home and lost 35-28. Um, but it really wasn't that close. Marshall was up by pretty much two touchdowns the entire game. And uh, Miami got a touchdown late, but uh, couldn't couldn't get another one to tie the game. Um, and then last Saturday, the uh, Red Hawks played Cincinnati at Paul Brown Stadium, uh, just down the block from from Chris's house. Um, in what sounded like it was a pouring rainstorm, he can confirm whether it was as wet as the box score made it sound. Um, but Cincinnati had no problem winning twenty-one nothing. Miami really didn't get anything going on offense. Um, taking a look at the stats. The Redhawks are a very pass-centric team. Now, is that because they've been trailing most of their games and they've had to? Or is that because they like to pass the ball? Um, That's something that hopefully Blake will get into his preview a little bit later this week. But just taking a quick look look at the quick stats, uh, the Redhawks have only carried the ball 46 times in the two games for 160, sorry, not even 165 yards, 100 45 yards, um, but they've allowed 405 yards on the ground between their two games. So Minnesota really has a major rushing advantage going into Saturday. Passing, the Gophers secondary and the Gophers pass rush, uh, I won't say be tested, but 
they'll have to play as well as they did against Fresno State. Uh, Miami has thrown the ball 87 times in two games, and their quarterback has uh, played decently well. Gus Ragland is their quarterback. He's a uh, 54% completion percentage, 496 yards, three touchdowns in two games, only one interception. Um, so he's averaging 248 yards a game passing. So he's he's not terrible. So the Gophers will have to try and get some pressure to him, but by far Minnesota will be the best defense that Miami has seen this far. Um, they do like favor a couple of receivers. Um, James Gardner and Kenny Young each have caught double digits passes already. Young has 15 catches in two games. Gardner has 11. Um, but Young's are all short, sort of, must be their bubble screen guy, things like that, because his 15 catches have only gained him 74 yards on the season, whereas Gardner's got 142 yards. Um, as we said, three passing touchdowns. Defensively is where the Gophers are going to have to uh, dominate. Miami has not been very good rush defense, as we've said. They haven't been very good pass def- defense either. Um, they're allowing like about 230 yards per game in the air. Um, they've allowed teams to convert 40% of their third downs compared to the Gophers, is only 25%. Um, they've allowed, Miami's allowed their opponents to complete 63% of their passes. So, all in all, the Gophers should have a, um, you know, you hate to say pretty easy, but they should have a pretty easy Saturday. If they live up to their potential, Minnesota should win by at least two touchdowns. But as we all know, we've seen plenty of times that the Gophers have not played up to their potential, so we can only hope that this will be a week where they do. Yeah, I can tell you right now I'm not expecting a Kent State, a Kent State protocol game against Miami. Uh, I'm going to go in relatively confident. Um, you're, you're correct. It was storming quite strongly here yesterday. Uh, I had the opportunity, uh, and by opportunity I mean had I realized they were playing in Paul Brown Stadium, I probably could have wandered down and gotten into the game for about $2. But it was also about the same time as the Gopher game, and I decided to be dry and uh, you know drink some of my own beer versus uh, go watch a college game in an NFL stadium that was going to be empty and wet. So hey, I failed Chris. you all. Chris, yeah. were you, you're saying you were in a city where a college football game was being played and it was torrential downpour? In, indeed I was. So, want to want to comment on the water demon status? God damn it. No. Go away. I hate you all. I, I, got, no, I, got, I got no response to that. I promise you, Andy, we will not get wet for the Iowa game. I promise you. Across my heart. Everything. I'll, I'll learn a dance to keep us dry. Something. We will not have to sit through rain for the you Iowa You mean game, a rain I dance? I swear to you. No, an anti-rain dance. A sunshine dance. Something. You, you heard that, folks. If it's not 65 and sunny for Iowa, you know who to blame. Whoa, whoa. I didn't say it was going to be warm. And I didn't say it wasn't going to snow or anything else. I said it wasn't going to rain. Not rain. I am calling my shot right now. It will not rain for the Iowa game. Are you able to control your shot because you can control the weather because you are a water demon? God, just stop. All right, I'm taking us away from this topic because it involves me being made fun of, and that's not nice. Uh, Rachel has uh, got a great volleyball preview for us again this week. She'll take you through what the Gophers have been up to.
Rachel here with our little volleyball update. Gophers are now 5-2. They dropped both their matches this weekend out at Stanford. Previous weekend, Minnesota had clean sweeps over North Dakota State, Georgia Southern, and Arkansas, which Alexis Hart did not play last or the previous weekend, which was interesting. Gave her a whole weekend off, and she rebounded well this weekend. But Gophers, very close matches, just could not come up with the win. So... First, I think it was Friday night, they played Oregon. They lost in four sets, and they were as close as it could be. Each set was a two-point margin. But Oregon, just a really strong offense. They had 74 kills to Minnesota's 63, and for as close as the match, you wouldn't think it'd be that big of a disparity. But kind of a theme for the weekend was that Minnesota just let some late leads slip away, which wasn't great. Obviously, um, in the Oregon match, Donna Rollins started playing across the net instead of just back row and did admirably well. The outsides was kind of our weakest position offensively against Oregon. So Minnesota just couldn't generate enough points to get past Oregon. Both teams, they hit fairly even. Minnesota hit 295 and Oregon hit 298. So. Neither team was giving away a lot of points, but Oregon was just able to generate so many more points on their own. And then against Stanford, Minnesota had trouble closing late. Uh, first set, they were, we were up 23-20 and lost. And then in the fourth set, Minnesota was up 22-18 and lost 25-23. So just not, yeah, not able to generate enough points again. Stanford's offense really got rolling. Uh, Catherine Plummer, you know, reigning player of the year, kind of got really back on track, had one of her best matches. She had 25 kills and hit 438. So she finally kind of got back to form from last season because up to this point, I mean, she'd obviously been good, but she hadn't put up great numbers like that before. Um, yeah, Minnesota was out out hit 358 to 285. Donna Rollins, Rollins played a good match for the Gophers. She had 16 kills, no errors, hit 573. Alexis Hart was good. She, uh, she don't have her kills number, but she hit 293. But what hurt Minnesota was because Stephanie Samity did not have a good match. She only had nine kills and seven errors. So not a great ratio for her. And, you know, usually she doesn't even give up you know, have that many years. So, Minnesota, yeah, they just don't quite have enough pop on offense to get those kills out of system when teams are serving them tough, and Minnesota is struggling with ball control, whereas Oregon and Sanford seem like they had those heavy hitters that can just get kills. And for Minnesota, it's kind of sanity and no one else. Everyone else, you know, just benefits from Minnesota playing so quick and getting teams out of position. And hitting those open spots, but they struggle to you know generate points as often as other teams maybe when they're out of system. But I mean, the, both these matches should be great lessons for the Gophers. Obviously, letting those leads slip away certainly hurts. But you know, experiencing this now, improving on it, should be pay off in the end. So this weekend, last weekend for preseason, Thursday. Gophers host Wisconsin Green Bay, and then Saturday they host Kansas State, 
who's a respectable 8-1. They lost to Marquette, who's in top 25, and they haven't played anyone, like, so great. But they beat Western Kentucky, and who's always a good mid-major volleyball team, and then Oregon State, who's receiving votes in the poll. But um, kind of looking across the country, top 25, more turnover again this weekend. Obviously, Minnesota's stay at number one. It was very brief. They're not number seven in this week's poll. Although some consolation, Wisconsin also lost. They were two last week, and they moved to six. Uh, they only had the one loss. They lost to number 15, Baylor, in a four-set match, which saw kind of an insane performance. Baylor got or Yasiana Presley had 32 kills in the four-set match and hit 313, which was obviously a big part of why Baylor was able to knock off Wisconsin because then Baylor turned around the next night and lost to Texas Rio Grande Valley in five sets. So not as consistent of a team, and they don't have enough options around Yasiana Presley. But So Badgers also lost, although this week they're six, just one spot ahead of the Gophers. So the new number one this week is BYU, who's 8-0. There's only nine teams that are left that are undefeated, and eight of them are in the top 25. But BYU's, you know, signature win was they were able to beat Stanford in five, and then Stanford moved up to two this week, Texas three, Nebraska's four. They got a good five-set win over Creighton this week, and then Penn State stayed at five. They lost, were swept by Stanford, but they were able to pick up, they a three-set win over Oregon this weekend. They're out there along with the Gophers. So Wisconsin 6, Minnesota 7, Illinois, who's undefeated. They're 8-0. They moved up to 8. Uh, the other Big Ten teams ranked Purdue's 15. They're still undefeated at 8-0. Michigan came in at 19. They are 9-0. Michigan State's receiving votes. The remaining undefeated teams are Washington State, who came in at 22, Alabama, at 25 and Portland was receiving votes in this week's poll and then Boston College is also undefeated I didn't look at their schedule but I assume that's because they haven't played anyone that great so Gophers back at home this weekend look to rebound be a good you know another kind of last chance to really work out some kinks in offense get Adana Rollins more reps across the front row and hopefully Amity can rebound so Thursday night, they play Wisconsin-Green Bay at 7 o'clock. And Saturday, they play Kansas State at 7.30. Otherwise, matches are on BTN+. Thanks again, Rachel. Uh, be sure to check out everything she's been writing at the Daily Gopher about the volleyball team. Hasn't been the best weekend, of course, for the Gophers coming off a, a number one ranking, but this is still a team that has a lot of talent and a lot of opportunity to improve as the season goes on. Actually, I can think back to last season, and, and you know we had struggles last year too, and, and yet again the Gophers were strong come tournament time. So keep following what Rachel's doing. Uh, there will be a lot of good uh, events and great wins to read about as the season progresses. Uh, before we get out of here, hockey hockey had news we're not we're not even to shoot barely in september and hockey has news new assistant coach andy uh i'll be honest i don't remember this guy at all because i don't follow the nhl nearly as closely as i follow college hockey and frankly i don't follow college hockey as closely as i should tell us about 
the Gophers' new assistant coach. Well, it's a, it's a name that if uh, anybody did follow Gopher hockey in the early 90s, they will remember. Um, it has not been officially announced by the University of Minnesota, but it was confirmed by a couple sources on Friday that the uh, Gophers will finalize their, their staff for the season by making their second assistant, uh, former Gopher defenseman, uh, Chris McAlpine. Uh, McAlpine played 90 to 94 for the Gophers, helped the Gophers to a frozen four in uh, the 93-94 season, was a captain that year along with Jeff Nielsen. Um, you know, McAlpine was known as a hard-nosed defenseman. He is the Gophers' all-time leading leader in penalties. Um, <laughs> yes, he he not quite in penalty minutes, just because you know back back then they didn't quite give you the multiple misconducts and things like that. So Matt Demarkey has a few more penalty minutes on him than penalties. But McAlpine is the Gophers' all-time leader in penalties. Um, he he fills the uh, the alumni quotient. Um, Gopher fans obviously were looking for uh, for an alum on the staff. He is definitely an alum. And uh, he played in the NHL for about seven years after he left the U, and he spent the last 11 seasons as a NHL agent along with f- other former Gopher Ben Hankinson at Octagon Management. Um, they represent some of the biggest players in, in the NHL, um, John Tavares, uh, Blake Wheeler, names that many hockey fans would recognize. So, uh, I, all in all, I think it's a pretty good hire. They were looking for uh, another solid uh M man to come into the staff and McAlpine is is anything that in fact uh, uh, th- those that have extensive Gopher hockey knowledge may remember that uh, Mike Gensel got his first two uh, officially unofficial official wins as when he was the Gopher assistant coach under Doug Woog when Doug Woog was suspended for two games because he may or may not have slipped Chris McAlpine five hundred dollars in a hat his senior season. Um, I'm not sure. Wait, yeah. Wait, what? Yeah. There, there, there was an incident where, where Woog, uh, slipped McAlpine a little bit of money. Um, uh, nothing happened to McAlpine, but it was found out and Woog had, uh, was suspended for two games by the NCAA. So, um, that was the beginning of the end of Woog's, uh, coaching career with the Gophers before he transitioned to TV and things like that. But yeah, uh, just something long-term Gopher fans may may remember about uh, McAlpine as he was the guy who got the money under the hat from Doug Woog. Um, yes, things were a little shady back in the early 90s, but... Uh, and I want to be clear, and I mean this as no slam against McAlpine because I, I completely have nothing but affection for hard-nosed players that play under my, my banner in my colors, unlike those Canadian junior cheap shot artists that, you know, UND picks up. Uh, would he have qualified as a goon for us? You know, I don't necessarily think he was a full-on goon. I think he was more just, like, really hard-nosed. I mean, I think most of his penalties weren't necessarily the cheap shot type. It was just, you know, he was a, a hard hitter and was wouldn't be afraid to pick up that, that hard-checking penalty, wouldn't be afraid to to pick up that slashing penalty, things like that. So, um, you know, I, maybe he's a goon as far as, as Gophers are concerned, but he... You know, even objectively, I would never compare him to to several of those North Dakota guys. He was he was much more just through your your hard nose, and oh, and and by the way, he could score. I mean, it wasn't like he was just out there as an enforcer and and couldn't score. Now, granted, it was a whole different hockey landscape back in the early '90s when 
your typical game score was seven to five, not three to one as it is now. But McAlpine averaged about fifteen goals a season and uh, twenty-five or thirty points a season for the Gophers on the blue line. So um, he had some offensive talent along with being a, a hard-nosed defensive defenseman. So I, all in all, I think it's a really good uh, selection for Bob Motzko. I think he'll help the Gophers. And he's very plugged into the hockey world, especially in the upper Midwest as well, just like Scott Bell was. So it definitely can't hurt when it comes to recruiting over the next couple of seasons as well. Good stuff. All right, so let's close it out. Um, make some baseless predictions uh, for Saturday's game against Miami. Uh, I'm going to throw out there that I think the Gophers' offense will pick it up. The running game will open itself slightly, whether it's because the offensive line improves its play or because Miami just isn't as good as Fresno State was. And I'm going to go, I'm going to say, uh, let's go 35-10. I'm going to say 35-10 Gophers. Andy, how about you? Yeah, you know, I agree. I think uh, I think the Gophers are going to get in sync with the running game this week. Um I hope, I'm going to predict, I don't know for sure, but I'm going to predict uh, Muhammad Ibrahim is back, and I'm going to say both him and Bryce Williams go for uh, go for 100 yards each on Saturday, um, and Seth Green will get his usual vulture touchdowns in the red zone. Um, 35-10, yeah, you know, I think, uh, I think there won't be problems scoring. I'll... You know, I'll say 34-17, I think. Uh, Miami might get some garbage at the end to make it closer, but I think 34-17 games never really in contention. Okay, Street, how about you? Minnesota wins and covers pretty convincingly. Probably 42-7. to I think that would make us all very, very happy. All right, and with uh, those completely... Unlikely to be correct predictions out of the way. Uh, that's the end of another SkyU podcast. Thanks again for listening. Go Gophers. SkyU Ma. Row the boat. Go Gophers. Row the boat.